Amen. Thank you, Tim. Good morning. My name's Marissa McCoy. I'm on staff here in women's ministry. And in case you wondered, Rick is away this weekend. We have our men's catalyst retreat that is going on right now. Yeah, it's awesome. And so he, he could be there with them and I could kind of, I guess, step in and pinch hit is what they would say. But I have to tell you, I'm really glad to be here because yesterday morning, in the wee hours of the morning, I would say about 2 a.m., I woke up to what I have found out since is apparently... I'm allergic to serrano peppers or whatever's in a serrano pepper. I did not know you could experience things like that if you're allergic to them. And in my moment of sickness, when I thought this was it, and if you're my age or older and you remember old Fred Sanford, Sanford and son, this is it, Elizabeth, I'm coming to join you. I thought that it was my moment. And my thought was right before I thought I was about to meet Jesus face to face was, um, I hope Rick can come back from that retreat and talk to these people. What are we going to do on Sunday morning? So, but I'm here. The Lord said, ah, not yet. Stay down there just for a little longer. I'll come get you. So I'm here. Oh, that's so nice. Thank you. I didn't think y'all would be as excited as me, but I am. I'm excited. Um, Oh, you know what? Uh, It is good to be with you. And I better pray because now my thoughts are so many other places right now. Father, we, um, this is your time. So we're here for you. We're here for the words that you want to speak to us. And so, Father, may you be blessed. Would you take everything that we might be holding and thinking about right now? Would you take care of it for us so that we can focus on you and who you are and how great that you are? And so thank you for this time. It's in Jesus' most precious and holy name I pray. Amen. I have this question that I struggle with every time when somebody asks it of me. And I'm a little um, apprehensive for telling you what it is because I think that maybe it's something only I struggle with. That maybe all of you know exactly how to answer it. And um, I'm the only one that struggles with this. And so I'm kind of worried about being vulnerable like that for thinking that there is a universal truth of how to answer it and nobody's clued me in. And so, but I'm going to share it with you anyway. Rick keeps talking about us going out into the deep and taking all these steps out. But I think he's talking about our faith. But I'm going to use that same principle about telling you about this question that I have. This question is when somebody asks me, I have good news and bad news, which do you want to hear first? Like in my mind, I think, well, I don't want to hear any bad news. I mean, if you're giving me a choice, but you know that's not an option. And so in my mind, in that three seconds before I respond to the person asking me that question, I say in my mind, well, okay, if I, if I could take the good news first, maybe it's good enough that when the bad news comes, that it'll be so good that it, the bad news won't seem so bad. Well, no, maybe that won't be, maybe the bad news is really bad. So then I think maybe I should take the bad news first because then when the good news comes, then it'll override the bad news. And then I, my mind just wars back and forth. And I don't, I don't know what the answer is to that question. And I think for years, whenever I get answered that question, I don't think I've ever come up with the one pat answer. And so if you know what that is, please share it with me afterward. And that would save me a lot of, a lot of trouble. But this morning, God has got some bad news and he's got some good news for his people. Except he doesn't give them a choice of which they want to hear first. Instead, he calls a man by the name of Isaiah. And he asks Isaiah, this prophet, to come and to deliver a message to his people for him. Now, Isaiah, if you might have heard of him, he's in the Old Testament. It's a book that is named after him in the Old Testament. Theologians don't really know if maybe he wrote the whole thing or some other people helped him as well. But the truth in the word is that God called him... And for a long time in Isaiah, he tells the people of God, the Israelites, he tells them of a judgment that's about to come upon them. That they are about to receive a judgment for the actions that they have taken. And Isaiah knows this. He knows this when God calls him. But instead of shying away from that and saying, God, that's a hard message. I don't want to be the one to say that. He obediently steps forward into the deep with God to deliver this message of judgment. 
And this message of judgment is going to include this for the Israelites. Their actions have taken them so much that, is he, that he is going to allow them, because of the choices that they made, that God is going to allow them to be um, captured, to go into captivity by the Babylonians. The Babylonians will then take them into exile and they will be living apart from their land. And it all derives because they have decided to be a part of the culture around them. The culture around them is, is uh, focused on idol worshiping. That's their greatest thing of what's going on. They have physical idols that they have poured their time into, their attention into, their resources into, and they have forsaken God. They have turned their backs on him. They have said no to God, no to the living God who called them to be his people. They have said no to him, and they have put their faith and their hope in these idols, and God has warned them. He has told them what they are doing. He's told them, I haven't created you for this, and yet they're still not listening. And so he says, okay, all right. This is what's going to happen. This is a choice you made. This is a sin you've created. And so this is, the, what is, this is the consequence of that. This is what is going to happen. So Isaiah tells them that this is going to happen. But here's the deal about God, because that's the bad news. That's the bad news for him. You know what? This is what's happened in your life. This is where you're going. And I'm going to have to allow it to go. But God does not leave them there. God calls Isaiah not to only take 39 chapters that we can read about the judgment that's coming. He brings in chapter 40. Chapter 40 is the good news God wants to extend to his people. And the good news is this, is that even in your hardest, your most distressful times, that I'm going to be with you. And that I'm going to comfort you. You see, God, back in Genesis 17, he made a covenant. He made a promise with a man named Abraham. He probably sounds familiar to all of you. And in that covenant promise that he made with Abraham, he said, Abraham, I am going, you're going to have a lot of descendants. They're going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And you know what? I'm going to be your God, and you're going to be my people. And they make this promise together. When God made that promise, he meant, I'm going to take care of them. I'm going to provide for them. I'm never going to leave them. And so you see God doing this now in Isaiah, because now we've come hundreds of years forward, and the Isaiah, the Israelite people have turned themselves away from God. And God is still there. He's still upholding that covenant that he originally made with Abraham about his people, because the Israelites come from Abraham's line. And he's still being God. He's still being dependable. He's still being faithful. He's still keeping that original promise, even though his people are not, and they've chosen to turn away from him. And God knows that what's coming in this despair, think about it. Think about being taken in captivity. Think about today, if someone came and took us somewhere else, and we were living now in a foreign land as captives, and God knows what's going to come with that. We're your people, God. What's happened here? Is this where we're going to be the whole time? Are we ever going to get out of this? Can I do anything to make up for where I'm at? He knows those things, that isolation, the despair, the bitterness, the frustration, the disappointment in themselves. All of those feelings are going to come, come into their lives, and God knows that. And so he's going to prepare them for what is coming. I would ask you right now, is there anywhere in your life where you could use the comfort of God? Is there anywhere that you have felt like you've kind of come to the end of your rope, that you're disappointed? That you're frustrated, that you're suffering, that you're brokenhearted. No matter what has left you in this condition, no matter, God wants you to know today that he will not leave you and that he is there to provide the comfort that only he can provide. You know, there was a preacher who once said, if you preach to the brokenhearted, you will never lack an audience. You don't have to live very long on this earth to know the truth of that message. You see, God 
knew as well of the hurt that was going to come. Because remember back in Genesis 3, we know that in the very beginning, Genesis 1-1, God created the heavens and the earth. But we know that in Genesis 3, now he's walking with Adam and Eve in the garden. And he's pointing out all the beauty that he's created for them. It is in its actual perfect state, the way he wanted it to be, the way he created it to be. And he tells Adam and Eve, everything in here, everything is for you. Take advantage of it. Go crazy. Have a ball. I've made this for you. Enjoy it. Just don't, just don't. One tree, one tree is on say, don't touch this tree. Everything else is for you. But this one, this is not for you. Yet we know that Eve, with the help of Adam, goes ahead and they eat off of that tree. And when that happens, we know that sin entered the world. And with that sin, death came in. We now have a physical death and pain and suffering. And at that point, God knew that it came in. And he just didn't leave us in that. Then at that moment, he started what he was going to do is to redeem us back to himself, to provide for us back to himself. And in one of those ways, he redeems us and he provides for us. If he provides comfort to us in the middle of our sin, in the middle of experiencing maybe the ramifications of even someone else's sin, that God is there for us. I know this, that when the Israelites started their idol worshiping, I have a feeling that they never thought, if I do this, that this is going to be the one thing that will separate me from God. I don't think they even thought God about him too much, but I know this about sin. It's something that I've learned in my own life, that sin, God is a holy God, and he can't be in the presence of it. And that sin, and you've probably heard this before, it separates you from God, and it always takes you where you never intended to go. Sin always separates you from God, and it will take you where you never intended to go. I don't think that the Israelites never intended to wind up in captivity from their sin. But God does not leave them there. He will come to them. He will minister to them. He will provide for them. Now, in this group of Israelites, there's got to be a remnant of people who didn't get caught up in the culture. They didn't start living in the culture. They were of it. They were not, they were in it, but they weren't doing the same things everyone else was doing. They were saying, no, God, I will follow you. But because they are the Israelite people, they're still going to get, they're still going to get all the things that are going to happen to the majority of all the Israelites. They're all still going to go into captivity. And that can be like you and me, you know, frankly for myself, I can get my own self in trouble. My sin does a pretty good job on my own. I can get myself really where I shouldn't be with God. But there are times in my life where it's the sin of others, maybe that I'm closest to, that I also get the effect from, that I also get the ramifications, that I also get the consequences from. And so God knows that as a people group. That So there's, there's times in my life that I feel like um, I'm, I'm separate from you, God. I, I don't know why I'm separate from you. Or maybe sometimes I do know I'm se- separate from you. Where are you? And he is here. And so I, God knows this. He tells Isaiah in chapter 40, you got to let the people know something. I know they're going to have these thoughts. I know they're, they're going to think that I'm a God that is not with them. I know that they're going to think that um, I have left them, that I do not hear them. I know that they're going to think that I have done the one thing that he cannot forgive, that he won't come back for me, that he won't be here for me. And so he tells Isaiah, you tell them about the judgment in these first 39 chapters, but here comes chapter 40. And this is a beautiful chapter that Isaiah writes. It's a beautiful chapter. Here's something you need to know. This passage is considered a prophetic passage. So it was written, it was told to the Israelites by Isaiah at the time, but that general audience that he was speaking to, it wasn't going to happen. This captivity wasn't going to happen till years later. So actually some of the people that he's speaking to might have not even been alive later because they were older at the time. But it's a passage that even though it was going to happen to the future, this is your actions, this is what's going to happen to you, even though that wasn't going to happen for a while, they could take 
with the words that Isaiah were speaking from God to them, they could take that and they could use it now in their life. It would be an immediate learning and a truth about God. So they could learn something about God, then they, they could use it for um, correction. They could use it for conviction. They could use it for hope. They could take the truths in their life and apply it about who God is. And so we don't look at these passages and think, this is about a bunch of people a long time ago, and we're just kind of observing what went on in their lives. No, this is, this is a, a passage for you and me. It's about a God and his people. See, those of us who have surrendered our lives to Jesus, Jesus came down for the, for, to help us to forgiveness of our sins, and so those of us who have surrendered our life to him, we are now followers. We are now in God's family. In Romans 8, it says that if you follow Jesus, that you have been adopted into his family. And that means that the covenant promises that Abraham and God made long ago, you are in that line. You are a descendant of that line, whether you're Israelite or not. And because of that, that you know these same things he's telling to the Israelites, he's telling to you. Whatever you've got going, whatever despair, whatever heartache, whatever suffering, whatever frustration, whatever disappointment, I am your God, and you are my people. And so chapter 40 is coming. So where do you need this truth in your life? What pain are you currently experiencing? Maybe some of you are living in fear. Maybe some of you stay up at night and think, I don't know how this is ever going to be better. I don't know how we're ever going to get out of this. Maybe you have, uh, this isn't how I thought my life was going to go. I had different plans. How did I get here? Maybe you um, look at the lives of your children. Why are they choosing those choices? I taught them different than that. Are they ever, ever going to see the light? Are they ever going to change the way that they do their life? Maybe you feel hurt. Maybe you have a broken relationship. Maybe you feel like um, maybe you've done the one thing that would separate you far enough from God and there is no hope for you but God has this chapter 40 that we're going to speak of and he it's called by a lot of people it's called the comfort chapter because in chapter 40 verse 1 it's begin with God's words he tells Isaiah to comfort comfort my people and when he says comfort comfort my people the comfort he's talking about it's a comfort that is designed to go straight to the heart to go to the core of who you are it is a supernatural comfort it's not like anything you can manifest for yourself Try as you might, you cannot do this. Only God can do that. If you go to that original word, that's what he means, to speak to their heart, Isaiah. Go into those deep crevices that they keep trying to heal themselves and it's never working because I will go in there and I will heal and I will comfort and I will provide. And so let's read Isaiah 40, verses 25 through 31. Isaiah 40 is chock full. If you get time later, definitely go into that book and read the beautiful words that are written there about who God is. But let's look for the sake of time. 25 through 31. To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal? Asked the Holy One. Look up into the heavens. Who created all the stars? He brings them out like an army, one after another, calling each by its name because of his great power and incomparable strength. Not a single one is missing. Do you need to experience the comfort of God today? This is what God is telling you. He's telling you to look up, to look up. Why do you think he tells us to look up? I think he tells us to look up because my first reaction a lot of times when things go wrong, when things are disappointing in my life, when I'm getting the consequences of stuff that I've done, I look to fix it myself. 
I look and see what I can do to take care of the situation. I look to see how I can get out of it, whether it means um, I just need to be better. Maybe it just means, maybe in certain situations, I just need to work more. I just need to work harder. I just need to be this. I just need to say that. I just need to, well, this relationship isn't working, so I'll get out of that relationship. I'll just find another one. I'll just change who I am. I'll just, I'll just, I'll just, I'll just, I'll just, I'll just go shopping. I'll do retail therapy. I'll go shopping. I'll go buy some really great shoes. I'll, I'll eat. I'll eat comfort food. We even stick the name comfort onto our food. I'll go do that. And we look all over things. Now, let me say a chocolate chip cookie right out of an oven. That is so comforting. But that is just temporary comfort. You won't last. It won't be a lasting comfort in your life. And God will use people in your life. He will use people in your life to bring comfort to you. I know that. I know there's been circumstances and people that God has used in your life. But I want to ask you, where do you go first for your comfort? What's your first look? Do you look up or do you look around? Mm, I tell you, I spoke at a woman's uh, night of worship last November talking about looking around. My son is, my, my, my oldest is now a freshman in college. And so when he graduated, um, I told the ladies this, when he graduated, I think it was the day after he graduated, I decided that I started thinking about, oh, only got three months and he won't have me anymore and what if he gets sick I won't be there for him now I know maybe some of you men don't get this but the women you're if you're a mama you totally get this what is he going to do he's not going to have me there and I won't be able to want to bring the comfort and so then I got this brilliant idea that every time I would go to HEB or Walgreens or CVS or Target or wherever I would buy some kind of medical product whether it was medicine or some kind of medical device. And so every time I went, you got to know something about me. I go there like four to five times a week. And so I would start hauling stuff into my house. And I started with a box about this big so that Cole could have it to take to college. So if he got sick, he would have the comfort that he needs. And so I would buy something and I would come home. My first thing I bought, just so you know, it was Band-Aids. It was something very childish about when they needed Band-Aids. But I bought Band-Aids and I put them in the box. And then the next time I went, I kept buying and I bought and the course of the summer's going and this box is really growing and I'm looking and my husband's watching me as I walk in the door and he's so sweet and he's just kind of looking at me like okay he knows not to say anything because he's learned um he's learned y'all see y'all know and so I keep buying stuff and buying stuff in this box and this box has now grown to a bigger box that I had to go buy as well to take all of this stuff there was stuff I do not exaggerate I bought stuff I have no clue even what it did I don't even know, but if he had it, he has got it in that box. And so that did really well for the fall for him. He got a few little sniffles and stuff, and he took the medicine, and it was great. And I felt so good because I am providing him something that, that he needed. Well, I got a call about four weeks ago. Cole was extremely sick. He doesn't get sick very often, but he was very, very sick. And um, so, of course, I asked him, well, what about the box? Did you go into the box? He's like, I have tried things in the box and this is not working. And after talking to him, after a couple of days of knowing this stuff isn't going away, I said, Cole, you're going to have to go to the doctor there on campus. And so sure enough, Cole went to the doctor on campus. And I think you would probably guess what I'm about to tell you. Cole needed something I couldn't provide. Cole needed antibiotics. It had gotten out of control. That should have been his first place to go look. How are you prescribing your comfort to yourself? Are you allowing the one who can provide lasting comfort? Or are you searching around for temporary fixes? It says, look up. Where are we looking to? Okay, God, we'll look, but where are we looking to? Look up into the heavens. Who created all the stars? 
He brings them out like an army, one after another, calling each by name. Because of his great power and incomparable strength, not a single one is missing. I, I, I have a picture of stars here. Is it? Do you guys have it? Okay, we'll just go. Okay, so we have a picture of stars. Oh, there it is. Okay, so this picture of stars, that does not do justice at night. Like, especially if you're out in a beautiful place. Like, we go to Colorado every summer. And when you walk out in the evenings and you're out, you look up at those stars. You're like, oh. And God is telling us, look up into the heavens. I love this passage of scripture. He says, he says, he brings them out like an army, one after another, calling them by name. And because he's so great and he has his strength and not one of them is missing, like my mind like blows up when I think about this because I get this picture in my mind. Think about it. This big, powerful being that has got majesty and holiness and it steps out onto the field when it becomes evening. And then this wonderful James Earl Jones voice booms out to the stars. He calls them. He doesn't just say, all right, get out there. Y'all do your thing. He says, no. And he calls them by name one by one. And there's not one hidden from him. There's not one that is somewhere that he cannot see. And he calls them out from this corner and that corner, he says, get out there, do what you've got to do. And so it provides the light for us by night, and it's beautiful to look at. But God is saying, it's not only that. It's not only that. It's that I can hang them there in the sky. I have the power to do that. I have power to call them out. I know them. Not one of them is missing. I mean, don't you have those friends on social media? I do, who post amazing pictures of God's creation, a beautiful sunset, and then they always will attach a verse that reflects the glory of God on that sunset. And you look at that picture and you think, you're right. The way the light just cast across that water or the way it ripples um, through those leaves, you're right. There's something bigger than me. There is a creator God and what he's doing, he's given it to me on a platter. He's saying, why are you looking around everywhere? You look up. I've got an evidence right there, a physical evidence for you to see. You don't have to do this for yourself. You look up because look what I've created for you. If I have the power to hang those stars in the sky, I can take care of anything that is in your life. I can take care of any situation in your life. That is the kind of God I am. But what has happened to us? We've become so distracted. Who looks at the stars for the most part? What has happened that we see such a world that is coming at us and the things that they want us to look, look at and the things that they want, the, they're buying for our attention that we forget that the creator God has got something so evident and so obvious for us to know about his power. Of course, he's great. He can look into your situation and he can provide the comfort that you need. You only have to look up. He can restore you. He can give you hope. Where are you looking for comfort? Are you looking around? You trying to do it yourself? You only need to look up. And not only do you need to look up, we can also see in these passages that uh, God is telling us you need to believe something about me. You need to believe that I haven't forgotten you. You need to believe me that I have not forgotten you. In verse 27, it says, Oh, Jacob, how can you say the Lord does not see your troubles? Oh, Israel, how can you say God ignores your rights? You ever feel isolated and alone? Do you ever feel like God didn't even know anything about me? He's got so many other more important things to take care of. What I've got going on isn't as important. Maybe you have that thought. Or maybe you have the thought that says, um, I got too much. I've put myself too far out of his reach. I've got myself in such a mess. 
I don't even know how to get out of this, and surely he can't do this because of the things that I've done. He's washed his hands from me. He is separated from me. He doesn't know what's going on. There's just so much other stuff going on. When he says, O Jacob, O Israel, he is referring to their name. They are the Israelites. Jacob was also their forefather. Jacob's name was also Israel, and he calls them by that name. And so when he says that in Scripture, he's trying to say it very personal to them. As his children, I know what is happening in you. If you belong to Jesus, you need to know this. You are his child too, and he's speaking this directly into you. Oh, Marissa, I have not forgotten you. Oh, Marissa, I know your rights. Oh, Marissa, I am your God, and you are my child, and I can come to you. Have you felt like God has forgotten you? That is untrue. God knows you. God sees you. In Genesis 16, there's a story of a handmaiden named Hagar. She was actually um, the mother of Abraham's first child. So she gets pregnant with Abraham's first child. It was not her choice. It was a roundabout bunch of messed up events. And so when she does become pregnant, Abraham's wife gives her the business. She is tacky and terrible to her and so much so that Hagar decides, I cannot take this anymore. And so she leaves and and also um, Sarah just sends her out and she goes out in the wilderness all alone this young girl by herself, and she's out there and just feeling forlorn, maybe that I've come to the end of it. This is it for me. I am nobody that understands me. This is a situation that I don't know how I'm going to get out of. I don't see the, the light at the end of the tunnel, and she's just sitting there thinking about all these things, and guess who shows up? God. God shows up. God himself, an angel of the Lord. God comes to her, and he says, you know what? I'm here for you. I know what you're going through, and you don't have to do this. This is what I want you to do. And he gives her a plan. He tells her she's got to go back, that he's going to take care of her, and he's going to bless her, and that her life is going to be okay. And she looks at him, and she names him a name that he hasn't been named yet. She calls him the El Royi. It's the God who sees. She says, you see me. You see me. I'm not alone here. I'm not forsaken. I'm not by myself. I'm not in a situation that can never be repaired because you see me. You see me. God sees you. He knows what you are experiencing. He has not left you and he has not forgotten you. Finally, we are going to look at this. This is the hard thing to me of all this. I can see and I can look and I can remember that he has not forgotten me, but this is, this is hard for me. We need to trust in his character and in his timing. Trust in his character and his timing. Verse 28. Have you never heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord, some versions say, but those who wait in the Lord, they will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run, not grow weary. They will walk, not faint. What a beautiful passage of scripture. How would you describe God? Have you ever thought about that? Somebody asked you, who is God? What is he to you? What are words that you would describe him? This passage is chock full of his description of himself. We know he's the God who sees the El Royi, but he also says this, I'm the creator. I have a plan. I'm powerful. I'm all-knowing. I'm everlasting. I'm tireless. I'm trustworthy. I sustain the weak. I give hope. I renew. I give strength to those who need power. 
Years ago, years ago, I did a study for a long time, for several months, nine months. Every week for nine months, and I've told this before, but at the end of the week of the study, it always asked, what character of God do you see from what you just studied? Every week, week in, week out, and you would write whatever you saw. Well, God is loving. Well, God was the promise keeper. God is holy. Well, he was faithful and loving. And you might even repeat yourself based on what it was that you were studying and over and over and over. But finally, we got to the end of that study. And I remember thinking, um, why, why do I keep putting that question in? You know, and I didn't think much of it. The study in, fast forward four months from there, about four months, I come into a really deep, dark season of my life of things that have come on to me that I do not understand. And I don't know why God would allow it. And I have prayed and I have asked and I don't see his hand and I don't see a way out. And I'm kind of just there. And one day I just kind of sit there and I'm trying to quit looking at myself for the answers. And I'm trying to do what he's asking me to do and come back before him. And as I'm sitting there and I'm trying to just be still before him and looking into his word, all of a sudden, you know what kind of washed over my spirit? Nine months worth of characteristics of what I had learned about God. He was my father. He saw what I was going through. I could trust him. He was faithful to me. He was strong. He was mighty. And those words just poured over me. You know what? Those words did not change my situation. They didn't. They didn't change my situation. But they changed the way I looked at my situation. I was still in that moment of the hard times and the experiences that I was having. I was still in that. But I didn't look at it at the same anymore because I looked at it with renewed hope because I hoped in him because I decided that, you know what, Lord, I don't understand this. I don't understand this, but I'm going to wait on you. And so this is what I have learned about the character of God is that when you know and experience his character, you will then trust in his timing in your life. Know and experience God's characters, then you can trust in his timing in your life. Well, how do you get to know his character? Well, you start studying his word. You ask yourself, every time you see something about God and he tells you, what does that say about who he is? Then you can apply that to your life. That's what he's saying. I'm your God. You come to know me. And what you know about me, you can trust it about me. I'm going to show up. And so he's saying right here, this is in those who wait, those who wait on me. It's not this twiddle your thumb wait, like, uh -huh, he's going to, it's this eager expectancy that he's going to do something that even though it doesn't, you can't see it. You don't know how it's going to pan out. You still might feel kind of miserable. You kind of wishes you were through this. You almost can't even get up in the morning, but you know something that just because I feel those things doesn't make it true because the truth of the matter is that God will take care of it. And that's what you put your hope in. And if you put your hope in the, he says that you will mount up on eagles wings. You will soar. You will see things from his perspective. You will be with him in the heavenlies. You won't handle it down here where we are anymore. You won't assign it the way we assign it. Oh, that looks pretty bad for you. Yep, you should run. Oh, it's bad. You don't look at it. Yeah, it's bad, but you know what? God has got it. God is greater than this. And so you can run and you cannot get weary. You can walk and you will not faint. You will be able to go the distance because God is not like you and me. I don't know why we do that all over time. I do it time and time and again. I think, well, this is kind of hopeless. And so I just think God thinks it's probably kind of hopeless. And he's saying right here, it is not. He says in Isaiah 55, my ways are not your ways and my thoughts aren't your thoughts. 
So don't think for a minute that the way you're feeling about your situation that God feels that way as well. He's got plans and he's working and he's asking you to wait, to wait on him. Who likes to wait in here? Yeah, no one. This whole culture is designed to have immediate gratification, right? I was noticing that when you go into the um, drive-thru at fast foods, it gives, if you'll look like on the cashier part, it'll say, has customer been um, money received within 30 seconds? You go down to the next window, as customer in 45 seconds, if they receive their drink or what, if so, you go here. If not, I guess you get fired. I don't know what happens. I always wonder what the result is if it doesn't happen. And so no wonder I get most of my stuff without a straw or ketchup or whatever, you know, because we're like, here, take it, get out of here. Um, because we're in such a fast, a fast mode. We're such a fast mode. And so we assign that to God. I have prayed to you, God. I have asked for relief and I don't see it coming. And so it's just not gonna happen. And this looks like the time, God, right now, Right now, I've been in this stage forever. I've been in this season for so long. Right now, where are you, God? Why haven't you shown up? And he's saying, you've got to trust me in the wait because I'm working in the wait. If you trust me in this, I will take you to places you never thought. It might not change your situation right now, but I'll sustain you. You hope in me. You wait in me. I'm going to close with a story that I think is really a great analogy about this wait and what God can kind of do in our wait Um, Back in the Greek and Persian wars, the Greeks were the underdog against the Persians, and so they had two victories that were very key for them, and one of those was the Battle of Salamis. There was a general called Themistocles, was his name, and he, um, he had all of his troops lined up. They were ready to go. They all looked around, and they thought this is the absolute perfect time to strike. I mean, we are the underdogs, and what they looked at in their conditions and where they were and what the enemy was doing, they felt like all of them were ready. Let's go do this. And so they thought they all were about to get the order to march ahead, to sail ahead. But something happened. Their general didn't do it. He kept them where they were at. And here they have all this adrenaline going, and here they think they're about ready to strike, and they're all sitting and they're waiting, and they're waiting. And you can just see it in their minds. They're thinking, and we're giving the enemy time. They see what we're up to, and we're giving them time. And here they're going to get ready, and they're going to come back stronger on us. And they're starting to get worried. And the general's not saying anything. And so what they decide is that, you know what? We've got ourselves a traitor. He did this on purpose. He's going to, he never meant for us to win in the first place. As a matter of fact, he wants our demise. He wants our death. And so they start getting anxious amongst them but what they did not know is the general knew something that they didn't if they would just wait a few hours longer if they just waited there would be a land breeze that come would come in that land breeze would come behind their warships and it would catch their sails and it would make them go to the enemy where they would have to their rowers would have to extend very little effort and being the underdog that they were if the rowers didn't have to use all their energy to get across to get to where the enemy was They could be warriors. They could took their strength to be warriors. And so that's what he did, and they won that battle that day. Is God trying to make you a warrior? What's he doing in your weight? God is saying to you, I'm here. Look up. Quit looking at yourselves. Quit looking at everywhere else. Look to me first. You are my people. I have not forgotten you. You do not go unnoticed you got to just trust me. you got to trust my character. And you got to trust in your weight. Would you pray with me? Father, you are an amazing 
God to us. You are a faithful God who provides for his people. And even though we get ourselves with our own sin and with circumstances and situations that you never intended for us to go, you are still there for us to provide comfort to us, to relieve us, to be our God. And for that, we praise you and we thank you, Lord. God, it is my hope, it is my prayer this morning, Father, that you would use this truth for anyone that is experiencing this time, that is experiencing this moment, God, that you would breathe the truth into them, that you would um, speak specifically to each of us because that is what only you can do. You see each of us. I don't have to know anything because you know it all. There is nothing hidden from you in this room. And so I pray that today, Lord, that we would give it to you and that you would do the thing that you want to do in our lives. And so, Father, we, we praise you. We give you all the glory and the honor. Thank you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.